All right. Hello and welcome back to the Good Teaching Podcast, where we talk about teaching strategies for college instructors. I'm your host, Dr. Toyin Ali. And today is a very special day because we have a guest today. And today's guest is Dr. Jesse Talley. So I'm going to introduce Dr. Jesse to us and then we're going to jump right into the interview. So Dr. Jesse Talley is a three-time graduate of North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University in the area of industrial and systems engineering. She's currently an assistant professor of industrial and systems engineering in the School of Engineering at Morgan State University, where she leads the Risk Optimization Management Evaluation, or ROAM, lab. Her research focuses on applying operations research methods to address supply chain management, as well as utilizing qualitative methods for engineering education. Her current work has been funded by the National Science Foundation. Her experiences in academia have prompted her to begin coaching new faculty during their first three years on the tenure track. These years are crucial to the success of obtaining tenure, and she wants more pre-tenure faculty to know it's possible to thrive in the academy. So welcome to the Good Teaching Podcast, Dr. Jesse Talley. So happy. Of course. So happy to have you here. So before we get all into the nitty gritty, um, just so everyone knows, we're recording this the very last day of July. So it's been summer. So I would love to know, how have you spent your summer? This summer has been very busy, but very good. I've actually had the um, opportunity to actually go to two new conferences that I haven't even been to before. So um, the American Society of Engineer Education to present about some of the um, summer programs that I did through one of my grants. And then also to attend um, an ASBE um, conference, which is basically for agricultural and biological engineers, which I am not, as you heard, I'm an industrial engineer, but I like working on um, food supply chain problems or problems related to um, agriculture. Um, and so that's been something that I've really been getting into a lot. And so those were kind of my two um, big things. And I also was able to um, submit a big grant this summer recently. Um, and so that was like my main goal for this summer. But outside of that, just trying to do a little sewing and just kind of trying to chill out. Now I'm trying to just ramp up and get ready for the semester, so. Yes. Enjoy my last couple of days of summer, you know how I feel. <laughs> yes, I feel like you've had quite a productive um, summer, but I've also had a little bit of me time. I don't know if everyone caught that. You said you did a bit of sewing. I know that yeah. you like will sew your own clothes. So what I was do. the latest thing that you created? So I actually have been working on um, gifts with some of my friends. So for my um, my cousin, she had recently had a child earlier in the year, last year. So I kind of made something for the baby. And then another one of my friends, I'm still working on hers. Um, she's getting like a one of the pillows to go for around her son's neck, like if you're in a car, and a changing mat. But for my um, cousin, I made the same type of pillow and a blanket. Oh. So that's been my project. It's been for other people, like gifts, because I like doing that. I like making little baby things. So, 
Yes, I love that. I'm always an advocate of having hobbies as academics that have nothing to do with our work. (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, let's talk about your work. So what led you to industrial and systems engineering? Did you always know you wanted to be an engineer? What was kind of like the path to getting your PhD? So what most people don't know if they're not really close with me is that I actually wanted to do fashion design before I moved into wanting to be an engineer because I like designing things or being creative, um, as you just heard. And so one day I was trying to figure out, well, what exactly do I want to do? And initially um, my parents were like, I don't know about fashion design right away. So When I looked online, I found engineering and I looked up all the different disciplines and industrial engineering stood out because it was more people-centered engineering. Um, We focused on improvement, um, process improvement of systems, um, people, services. And so we have to really kind of get in and talk with people to see how the systems work in order to actually improve them um, and make them better for people. But I could also see like it had a little design element. And I said, this kind of seems like it fits. And I also had two other um, ways now when I do retrospect looking back that I know like this is where I was supposed to be. One was the university I actually went to that you heard. I met a professor at a conference when I was um, an undergrad because my parents had this um, computer program that we were in and we had to go present at conferences. And I met him there and he was like, oh, you should think about coming. And I didn't even connect the two until I actually got there and after I finished all of my degrees. Um, and the second was I actually met um, one of the full professors in my discipline. Um, I think she recently got a new job now, but I think she may be like a department chair or dean or something like that now. But she was actually in school working on her doctoral degree. Um, in industrial systems engineering, and she was going to be the first African-American to graduate from that university. And she came and spoke at a conference I was at, and I got to take a picture with her. And I still remember that. And so it was kind of like, it must have been meant for me to go in this direction. And I love it. Um, I love working on the different problems that I do. And I'm definitely a self-improvement, <laughs> process improvement person or looking at things like, oh, we could do this more efficiently. So it definitely aligns with my personality. Oh, I love that. I love when I hear stories about how people came to like their research area, the things that they study, and it really tends to fit like just like internally, like, oh, this feels really good. And I'm so happy that I'm studying this thing. So I love that for you. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So did you go straight into your PhD program from undergrad or did you work for a little bit or did you um, get your master's? first? What did you do? So I went straight through. As soon as I finished um, my bachelor's degree, I started my master's degree. As soon as I finished my master's degree, I went straight into the PhD. So I didn't take any breaks. Um, Probably should have, but I pushed through all of those years to just kind of get it done because I know me, I'm the type of person, like if I did probably take a break, even though I needed it, I probably would have been like, I don't know if I want to go back. Let me just get through this so it's done now. So yes, I went straight through. I did. I did the same. I went straight from undergrad to a PhD program and I kind of like got my master's in between by like signing a paper, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I also went straight through. So all I've known is the school life. Um, 
<laughs> um, so, okay, let's talk about your experience. So you uh -huh. are now an associate or coming this fall, you'll be an associate professor yes. of industrial and systems engineering. So that means you received tenure. Congratulations. <laughs> and so I want to go back to the beginning. Like, what was the beginning of your tenure track position like? Was it overwhelming? Did it take a minute to get the hang of things? Did you get a roadmap? Did you know what to do? What was it like? So what is so interesting about um, my journey is that I actually started off as a lecturer for two years at my institution. And at first I was upset about it, but I think it was a blessing in disguise because I had the chance to, um, first I hadn't taught the load that I did before. I only taught like one class during my doctoral um, program mm -hmm. to just kind of get teaching experience. So then now being with three classes that I had to teach, it was kind of different and having to actually create what I'm doing in all of them. And so I think those two years being a lecturer actually kind of helped me just kind of craft what those classes look like, but also helped me to just get um, familiar with the institution. So once I actually started tenure track, which was in 2018, um, I was still a little overwhelmed, but not in terms of the teaching piece. It was more so the research piece now because it's like I'm familiar with the university. I know the classes that I'm teaching now. So it was more so like, how do I teach these classes and then balance pushing out research? And so that was the biggest thing that was kind of like on my mind, like, how am I going to do this? And um, as a result of some of my outside network, um, they kind of helped me. So in general, you kind of know what you're supposed to do um, on tenure track. But once you get in the position, sometimes it's kind of like those hidden rules or those hidden things that you may not know. For example, like, in terms of the research, like, wow, I got to go out and connect with my sponsor programs. Like, how does that work? And just, you know, different things surrounding how to even um, do a grant and all that's involved administratively with your role. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like new. You may know, like, oh, I need to do research. Oh, I need to teach. Oh, I need to do service. But it's like those admin things that kind of get you like, oh, what's the paperwork? I got to fill out. I got to do this. I got to do that. And so that's what kind of makes it a little like, oh, this is a lot more than I thought it was going to be. Um, and just trying to manage that. Um, and I also noticed, too, that sometimes the students can make it a little overwhelming, but that's because they don't really understand the full extent of what your job entails. Yeah. And so trying to manage all of those different expectations of them, you know, your, your um, colleagues, your institution. And so it just takes a minute to kind of, um, you know, get used to that. So I think kind of toward the middle is when I was starting to see, okay, I think I can actually do this. And I was teaching the same courses through most of, which was helpful not to like do anything new. Mm -hmm. um, that saved a lot of time in terms of being able to focus on other things and just kind of making that better versus I have to prep every semester I'm on tenure track so I kind of did that during the lecture part of the journey nice by the way I am not crying something is in my eye and I have been fighting for my life over here <laughs> oh my goodness usually I do get emotional when people tell about tell their stories but I promise I'm not crying here I, <laughs> so I sorry. 
Sorry that was distracting, but yes, starting a new position is quite overwhelming. And I do think you're right. So I am a lecturer. I'm a senior lecturer now. I was promoted, but I did find that just being able to focus on teaching really was something I was excited about, but also it made my experience of starting my first job ever really not as overwhelming as it could have been. Um, Mm -hmm. So yes. I'm glad you did get that experience um, of being a lecturer first, and then you can kind of like add on the research and the other things later. So that right. is really nice. And But not everyone gets that luxury of, you know, right. easing exactly. their way in. Um, yeah. So I know that you recently did a, a video series. It was a two-part series um, where you were helping new faculty members with like how to like begin the semester on like the right foot. And so I would love it if you would share a few of your like key takeaways. And if also if there's, uh, the video is still up, if you have a way for us to like find it and share it with people, please share how we can find it. But yeah, how did you start the semester strong as a new faculty member? Yeah, so I was just sitting thinking about this because I'm like, I know I see on social media all the people who are about to start um, their faculty positions. And sometimes you're trying to like balance moving and prepping and all that kind of stuff. And you may be trying to figure out like, how do, what do I should I actually focus on to just be okay when the semester starts? Because like you said, like you may not have the luxury of not being on tenure track and you just have to dive right in. And so I was like, well, let me share some things um, that might be helpful. And so it's basically, I'm actually going to do the third video this week. So that one is not out yet. Uh, But the first two videos, one was basically just on um, course preparation. um, And basically, how do you kind of craft how you want your um, class to run and how that kind of starts with Um, building out those 15 to 16 weeks, like what do you actually want to teach? But then also how do you connect that back with your um, syllabus? And so that's kind of the process that I normally take. Like, let me think about what do I actually want to put in there first and then connect it back to building out what that um, syllabus is going to look like. And so the second piece was how to establish clear communication with your students, which is very um interesting when you're in a classroom and I like to tell people that every class has a personality and so it takes you a minute or a couple of weeks to kind of figure out the type of students that you have and what they need so what you did last semester may not work which is good and bad at the same time because it kind of keeps you on your toes so you're like okay let me think of a new thing to implement in my classroom that's going to reach these students Um, And then you can still use some of the same things, but just trying to make sure that you find some way to kind of connect with them so that they get the information. So that's what that one's going to talk about. And then the last video this week is going to be, I know a lot of people say work-life balance, but I don't believe we really are truly balanced in the academic life all the time. So I say work-life integration. So trying to put the puzzle pieces together to fit basically what you kind of have going on in your life. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that this week, just how do you kind of, you know, cultivate things around how it already is kind of working and fitting. How can I fit another puzzle piece in that will work with what I have going on right now? And so I thought those were like the main things to kind of tell someone because 
they are going to be overwhelmed and, you know, they want to come in and they want to do good. They want the students to love them. They want to get their research started. But also that, you know, you just have to um, to take your time. Like, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to do everything every day, but just, you know, you have that kind of foundation of how you want your class to go. It may change. It might not. You just kind of have to be willing to adjust as you go along, I like to say. Yes, I think you are spot on with the three things that you are talking about in the three part series. Like when people ask me about teaching, so typically I'll do videos and content about time management. And then sometimes I'll do business stuff and people will ask me about teaching. And this is exactly what they want to know. Like, how do I actually put my learning outcomes and connect it with the syllabus? And how am I supposed to communicate with my students? And actually, I think that's something people don't even think about is the communication part. I think we kind of expect our students to know how school works. And but every class that they're taking is completely different. And the communication may look different for every instructor. So it's very important to be so explicit about how you will be communicating with your students and how you want them to communicate with you. So I think these are awesome topics. And so for anyone who is interested in watching this video series, I will put links to them. Um, If you're on YouTube, I'll put it in the description of the video. If you're listening um, on your podcast player, I will put it in the show notes. And there's always going to be a dedicated blog post on my website at drtoyanali.com. So I will definitely share this information because this is what the people need. And I'm going to shout out Crystal, Dr. Crystal Benjamin. She's always asking about teaching stuff. I know she's going to love this. Awesome. (laughs) Yes. Well, let's talk about your classes. So first, let me ask, um, what classes do you typically teach? So I teach um, an engineering economy class. Um, I teach two statistics classes, so they kind of break them up into two. Um, so the first class is more of like the descriptive statistics and um, probability. And then the second half is more of the hypothesis testing. So um, I teach that. And then I also teach um, a discrete event simulation class, which is, I think that's kind of my favorite um, because we're on the computer, we're designing systems visually. Um, and putting in different parameters to kind of model specific problems. And this semester, I'm actually going to be, so I do have a new prep for this summer. Um, I'm actually doing um, my area, operations research. I'm getting back to teaching in the class for that. And so it's actually going to be a linear programming class. So that's what I'll be um, getting into this semester. So that will be like my first new class. Mm, I know it's always always a little apprehension teaching a new class, new prep. You got a clean slate, and I always think this is probably the worst I'll ever teach this class, but it'll be fine. We'll push through. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I asked you about your like most effective teaching strategy or one of your most effective teaching strategies that you use that you find to be really helpful with your students. And you mentioned problem solving and what you do early on in the semester to help your students with problem solving, which is something that engineers really, really need to know how to do. I try to convince my math students that they need to do this, but yes, engineers, 100%. So can you walk us through like what you're looking for and like how you do this in your class? So I want to start off by saying that 
most of my students, they get upset with me because I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to give you the answer right away. So that's kind of the approach um, that I use. But I also tell them um, as they go throughout my classes or, you know, if they take me again, all my classes are kind of set up for them to build their confidence in solving the problem themselves without me or their peers um, because that's what they'll have to do in the real world. <clears throat> and so normally what I do or what I've switched my classes over to do now is I kind of do a little flip classroom to an extent. So I've started for some of the classes I've already been teaching to um, do a pre-recorded lecture that I hope that they watch. And even if they don't, I hit up kind of like the highlights um, of the, um, the lecture of that time. And I also, for two of the classes, have like a workbook that they can do with is going through the same stuff again. So they just have to write it down. Um, and so we focus more so, though, on the problems that are in the lecture in class. And I'll kind of like walk them through it, ask them if they had any questions about how to do it. And then once we kind of get through going through those examples, making sure that they understand the concept, then I bring down my dry eraser markers and I'm like, okay, you got these three or four practice problems related to these concepts we just did. So now pick a problem, everybody come to the board. And they're like, come to the board? I'm like, yeah, we're, we're going to work on the board. And they don't really like that. I know some people don't like to do that. But if everybody is at the board, then it kind of helps, like, decrease that fear a little bit. And I'm like, look, we're working together. Like, we all got to know how to do this. So I think once they kind of start working through that and they see, like, oh, I really know how to do this, like, it's been a little more successful in terms of the students actually kind of retaining the information or understanding the steps. And they see, like, oh, I, I did that. And I still don't give them the answer. I'll say, well, wait a minute. How did we do this last problem that we were just working on? And just take them back to those concepts and steps and say, okay, think about it again. And I'm just coaching them through the problem, uh, which is what I want to do. And more times than none, they get it without me really having to do um, too much. Um, and so I like doing that approach because it helps me to stay connected to them. Like they feel like I care which I do, and it helps me to kind of see where they kind of have breakdowns because they're doing it in front of me real time. So I know, like, okay, I need to go back over this concept a little bit more because you all didn't get it or something like that. So that's kind of my biggest thing, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm, like, smiling so hard. You're probably like, why is she so excited about this? Our teaching strategies are so similar. Like yeah. I do the same thing with the problem solving and I never give answers. I just kind of coach them to get to the answer and also coach them to like critique their own answers and things like that. So I see so many similarities in our classes. And so everyone, I will do a solo episode where I talk about how I run my classes so you can hear about that. Yeah. But the problem solving is so key. It really, I, you mentioned the word confidence a lot. And mm -hmm. I think that is really a big part of my approach as well. Like if we can build our students' confidence and let them believe and let them understand that they can learn anything they want to learn, yeah. then they can go so far. They can literally learn anything if they believe that they can. Absolutely. Um, I love that. <laughs> 
Okay. So, okay. I guess a second question. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know about like your returning students. So the students who take your first class and then they go to your next class, do you find that they are more confident going into the next class? Like, is there a difference in the, um, I don't know, the personality, I guess, of your like introductory class versus your later classes? Does that make sense what I'm asking? It does. So I think that it, it depends. So I know a lot of them are more comfortable with me because it's normally their first time having me feel like I don't know how she does anything. And so they kind of get comfortable with my style saying like, I know what Dr. Sally wants. Like, yeah. I, I know how she's going to kind of run her classroom. I think the apprehension just comes with it's a different class. So not necessarily with the way that I'm going to run it, because they kind of know that mm -hmm. it's just maybe the material is like, oh, this class is a little different. Like the material is a little harder. So like a lot of the people who were in like my engineering economy class, it was their first time taking me. Now they're about to have the operations research class. That's going to be totally different. It's going to definitely be harder for them. And I know they're going to be looking like, oh my goodness. <laughs> but I think they'll feel okay because they're like, I know Dr. Tally's going to help me. And mm -hmm. I think that's the the piece. Like, I know she's going to sit there. She's going to work with me. She's going to make sure that I understand. She's going to make herself available. And I think that's the difference as they go through. Like, uh, it, it was funny because my senior design class this past um, semester, they made me laugh, but they were like, you know why we chose you? I said, no, why did you choose me? They're like, because we knew you were going to have us up there looking like a hot mess. <laughs> we knew you would read our stuff. We knew you would stay on us, but we knew we would have a good um, project by the end. And that's normally the answer most of the students. Like, we know you're going to be on us. And so that's why they kind of take my classes. Like, because you, they say you break it down where I can understand it. Things like that, even if it's hard. They're like, I know you're going to try to do your best to break it down. You're going to work with me the best way that you can. And so I think that's what makes the difference as they kind of move along. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that. And you mentioned something that I think should not be like underestimated or undervalued. It's like when students expectations for the class kind of match what's happening in the class, they can kind mm -hmm. of feel a little more at ease. And so even if it's like the first class they're taking with you or with me, one thing I like to do is really um, be organized, but also be very like repetitive. Like I try to make yes. my due dates the exact same day every week. I want, yes. I want them to have Absolutely. a structure that they can mm -hmm. depend on. So even though the content is difficult and the content is new every day, they can always fall back on the structure that they have in the class. And it just helps put Absolutely. them at ease and ready to learn. Yes. Yes. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So I want to know any like final bits of teaching advice. So I imagine a, a lot of new college instructors may be listening to this episode because unfortunately we don't get a lot of training and it comes to teaching. We're just thrown yes. in the classroom. So, right. so for any new college instructors, do you have any like little quick tips or pieces of advice for them? So first I would say like, I know when we first come in, we're so, like I mentioned before, we want to get teaching right. We want to do everything right. And you may spend loads of time trying to actually 
prepared or prep for your classes. And so I would say, you know, spend the necessary time to kind of initially you will because you have to prepare the class. But after you kind of get past the first time you teach it, it should kind of start to decrease because you don't want to spend all of your time preparing for the class. It's like you taught it one time, like you're just going to get better as you go along because you're doing the same information. And so I think we do that because we're like, oh, I don't want to not have an answer for my students and things of that nature. But, you know, you're the expert. You know how to. And if you don't know, you can go look it up. Like, it's okay. Um, And the other thing I would say to kind of your last point is in terms of your learning management system, because I know we have to put up a lot of information on there for our students. I think that is kind of like creating that structure in there, having all of those um, things organized in terms of your assignments, everything. I think that's the most crucial thing to your success for teaching and trying to just like automate some of that stuff. Because I know in the learning management system, you can schedule announcements. You kind of put all of that stuff in there way before, even like you said, doing a specific day to turn in homework, a specific day to do your quizzes. And making some of that great automatically, like that learning management system is like, it can give you your time back. Yeah. So I would spend some time once you kind of do your syllabus and you know what you're doing throughout the week, just kind of map that into that learning management system and get everything in there. And if you can't do the full 16 weeks, we normally like to say at least do the first three to four weeks before you get started with the semester so that you can just kind of be ahead a little bit. You can finish up everything else as you go along. So those are my last tips. Yes, I love that. I will add one thing to that as well. I think you kind of alluded to it is, you know, you want it to be the best course, but you really don't have the time to make it the actual best course, but you can yes. make it the best course for right now. And right. sometimes just thinking bare bones, what's the bare minimum that actually needs yes. to be in this course? What's the bare minimum types of assignments? Maybe I'm right. just going to do one project and not a project every unit. You know, you can build exactly. in more projects the next time you teach it. It doesn't have to be right. the full shebang the first time. I think the goal is just letting the students learn and yeah. helping them engage with the course material and everything else is kind of like icing on top of that. Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been so great. Thank you so much for sharing. I know you have, yes, you have so much content and so much like help and advice for um, early career uh, tenure track faculty members. Um, yeah. So where can they connect with you online? So you heard earlier, I have a YouTube channel. It's called Academic Insights that I kind of upload different information to. And that is one of the places we said earlier, you can find some of those um, other videos that we were talking about earlier. And some earlier stuff that I started talking about, um, you can definitely find me on my page, Engineer Culture, um, which kind of talks about some of this stuff as well on Instagram at Dr. Jesse Talley. It's the same thing for Twitter, too. Um, and then my website, www.jessielbtally.com. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for watching or listening to this episode. I will see you in the next one. Happy teaching. Yes. Happy teaching.